In Isaiah chapter 7, it's a story of a, of a king named King Ahaz. Now, King Ahaz, as you're going to find out, is one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. He becomes king at the age of 20. It is said that the only good thing that King Ahaz ever did would have a boy named Hezekiah, who would end up being one of the greatest kings that Israel would ever have. But Ahaz lost his mind. And it happened in a 16-year span. He was 20 when he became king. At 36, he dies. And during those 16 years, he totally destroyed the faith of a nation. He totally destroyed the, the uh, well, the nation itself. The nations invaded. The nations destroyed. All because one man would not be faithful in his relationship with God. And this guy goes down as one of the worst kings. And he's, when they buried him, it says they buried him in Jerusalem, but not in the Valley of the Kings. Because they didn't want him anywhere near the great men that had gone and led the nation before. So he's buried off by himself. So if you'll stand for respect for God's word, we're going to just jump right in and then I'll explain the context as we go. Let's go to the next screen. This is the verse that I want you to get in your head because if there's a verse to memorize in this chapter, this is it. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now this is not some belief, some idea. If you do not stand firm, firm in the true relationship with the living God, Isaiah saying this to a king who's got all kinds of faith but in all the wrong gods. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And his life shows that. Again, the Lord spoke to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now that sounds good, but it's not. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you now try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And will call him Emmanuel. You can be seated. Okay. So here's the setting. It's 734 B.C. How do we know that? Well, I'll show you in a second. It's 734 B.C. Things have been going really well for God's people in Jerusalem. This new king comes to power. He's 20 years old. And he's smarter than everybody who's ever come before him. Can you imagine that? A 20-year-old who thinks they're smarter than everybody else. So he says, you know what? If one God's good, how good would 10, 12 gods be? Well, there's an alliance going on, and he's like, I've got to make an alliance with somebody. I've got to partner with somebody because they're going to come and wipe us out. Isaiah goes and says, Ahaz, listen. Remember, Isaiah's got direct access to the, to the throne. And Isaiah goes in and says, listen, whatever you do, do not make an alliance with any of these guys. Your alliance is with the living God. Do not make an alliance with the Assyrians. Don't make an alliance with the Syrians. Let them fight it out. But God will protect you if you will trust him. Well, guess what Ahaz did? The opposite. 
In fact, so much so that he went into the temple and took the gold and the silver and all the things that were devoted to the living God and he gave them to the Assyrians in modern day Iraq. Just gave them things out of the temple. And then he said, you know what? I've been looking at all these other gods and I really like them. I really like their altars. He sent a drawing back to Jerusalem and told his priest to get rid of all the stuff that was inside the temple and fill it full of all of this pagan stuff. Now let me bring this into terms for you today. Because there's no prescriptions in the Bible about what a church building looks like. I've been in church buildings that are anything, everything, and nothing. There's, there's no prescription about furniture or communion tables or, or anything else. I've worshipped in every conceivable uh, under trees and bushes and garages. and It can be done anywhere, anyhow. But in the Old Testament, there were specific things that went on inside the temple. And God said exactly how it was to be done. To bring it into modern terms, it would be like you and me removing the goalpost morally. It would be like us reading where it says, you shall not commit murder. And we said, well, God didn't really mean that because he doesn't know my neighbor. All right, does that make sense? They start moving the goalpost. Now, I want you to listen. This is where I lost people last night. There are people who are in local government. I'm not picking anybody here. I'm just telling you. There are people on school boards, there are people on city councils, there are governors, there are mayors, there are prime ministers and presidents that will be in hell because they've tried to move God's moral goalpost. And you and I do not have the authority to move God's moral post. But that's the struggle. That's the struggle. Ahaz says, you know what? It's okay. We'll do whatever we want. He so perverted things that when he dies at age 36, Hezekiah, his son, becomes king. It took the priest 16 days to get all of the garbage out of the temple and reestablish biblical worship. Now, the amazing thing is that they were able to turn it around. Because usually when a church slides off the table when the church gets to the point where we don't believe in the authority of the Bible, we don't believe this verse, we don't believe that verse, very rarely do those churches ever come back. Those churches end up dying. Because once you step away from the integrity of the Scripture, you've got nothing to stand on. And so he says, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you don't get to write your faith, you get to believe the faith. It's given to you in the Scripture. If we don't stand firm, there's a price to be paid. Now, we live in a world that, t that wants to tell us about morality. But this is what's funny. Whether it's school boards, whether it's mayors, whether it's governors, whether it's the hip people on TV, whoever it is, here's the question. They want to lay morals on me, but based on what? Where do they get morality? They make it up. And they'll say, well, you have to be tolerant. When you hear that phrase, be, just know this, you're not included in the tolerance. Because the one thing tolerance cannot stand is truth. Because if there's truth, you mess up all their tolerance. And Jesus didn't come for tolerance. Jesus came to bring us truth. Jesus came to die for us. Here's a, here's a guy on Facebook. These are things that catch my eye. All right. See this? How to get one million views on YouTube. Not Facebook. On YouTube. 
You see his views? These are the kind of people that are trying to tell me about morality. They're all over the place. They're all over the place. They're elected, unelected. Uh, some of them are just people in your life. But they know all about morality. But here's the deal. If you don't believe in God, there is no morality. I, I think it's hilarious to listen to atheists tell me about morality. Because if you don't believe in God, there is no such thing as morality. Everything is, everything is legal and everything's a go. That's why we're in such a mess as a culture. Because if you and I can't decide what is moral based on God's written code, well, that's an old book. That's an old book written by men. Well, who wrote your science textbook? Who wrote your ethics book? Where did you get your ideas? See, these are ancient truths that are there. Exodus, check this out. 23. Have nothing to do with false charges. Do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not accept the guilty. Can we go back to the first part, please? Have nothing to do with the death of an innocent person. I take flack all the time for this. People say, well, I wish you'd be consistent in your pro-life stance. They really. Now, they're, they're not pro-life, the people that are after me. What do you mean by that? Well, you're pro-death penalty. I am. I don't have the right to take anybody's life, but the government does. If you can't tell the difference between a mass murderer who's killed 30 women and an innocent unborn child, there's something wrong with you. It says, do not take an innocent life. Do you see that? Yeah. An innocent life. There is a big difference between a guilty life and an innocent life. And we live in a culture that does everything it can to protect the mass murderer who's been convicted and yet watches millions of babies be slaughtered all the time. You say, why does this come up? Well, guess what Ahaz was into? Killing babies. It comes with every false religion. Every one of them. When he brings these gods back from Syria and these gods back from Damascus, the first thing he does, he, in, he installs a telescope-type device, okay, a stargazing platform, so they can set up their horoscopes and their occultic worship. Then he sets up altars where children are sacrificed, and Ahaz sacrificed his own children. Talked about Molech before. <coughs> Excuse me, the big bronze statue. They would heat him up as hot as they could, and then they would throw their babies on top of Molech and watch their children scream and die. And somehow they thought that was pleasing to God, and they thought that somehow would fit with the true God. See, that's the danger. The danger is not that you're going to not believe in Jesus, it's that you'll believe the rest of it goes together. And that's syncretism. That I can believe in Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and whatever else, and they all fit together. No, when, you, when you're killing children, that does not fit with Christianity. Those two do not fit together. All right. So he's doing child sacrifice, he's doing witchcraft, he's doing horoscope stuff, he's sacrificing to pagan gods. Everything that God forbids in his word. But guess what Ahaz is not doing? You're not reading the word. He's not there. So Isaiah is doing his best. He says, look, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you don't have a chance. 
Well, let me show you. You're saying, well, this story's probably made up like all the rest, right? Uh, this is Ahaz's signet ring. We didn't find this till 1995. Uh, this is, uh, he would have worn this, and any time there would have been an official document go out, they would write on it, they would roll up the sheepskin or goatskin, whatever it was, put a piece of clay down, and then the king would put his seal on it, and that's like a signature that we use today. Sometimes they're actually called signet rings. Uh, but uh, this, is, uh, this says the uh, officer of King Ahaz, if you can't read ancient Hebrew. All right, so... And how else do we know the story's true? This is uh, Tigloth Pileser III. Anybody reading about him recently? Uh, well, he was the king of Assyria during this time. He records, we have, we have in cuneiform, his writing where he tells us the entire story of Ahaz giving his gold and silver from the temple in Jerusalem to Assyria and Ahaz bringing all of the, their false gods back to the temple in Jerusalem. God chose to keep those stone tablets alive. So if you're wondering, can I trust the Bible? Well, there's, this is a fairly obscure text, wouldn't you say? And yet God is still proving himself to be true. So there is an honest fact. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. Secondly, there's a bold prophecy. He says, look, God's trying to reason with Ahaz. Even though Ahaz has totally lost his mind, God's trying to still reason with him. After all, he's king of God's people. And so Isaiah's pleading with him, and he said, listen, just ask God for a sign. Now, why is this important? Why is he looking to the stars? Why is he doing horoscopes? Come on. He's looking for a, a sign. Why is he sacrificing his children and everybody else's children? He's looking for a sign. He's looking for favor from the gods. Isaiah said, listen, ask God for a sign. Anything you want, ask God for a sign. He'll give it to you. And Ahaz says, no, I don't want to bother God. Now, again, on the surface of that, it sounds like, well, it seems okay. But you have to understand that every single day he's praying to these other false gods. And Isaiah says this. It's really sweet how it's translated here in English. In Hebrew, that's not how it's written. Isaiah says, it's one thing to be rude and angry and tick me off. But it's a whole other thing to be rude and angry and tick God off. He said, now you won't even talk to the living God? He said, I'll tell you what, God will give you a sign anyway. The virgin will be with child. Now, there's a couple ways to look at this, but I'm going to tell you what I, what I think. You do with it whatever you want. All right. This is thus saith Joe. It says, the virgin will be with child. All right. We know how that story is going to play out 700 years later, right? Matthew talks about it. Luke talks about it. Every Christmas we talk about it. We'll get to that. But in Ahaz's time, all right, and, and liberals are quick to jump on this one. Oh, that word, that word doesn't mean virgin. That word means uh, a young maiden. Let me help you, boys and girls. The Hebrew word that is used there means a virgin. Was she a young maiden? Well, yes, but the word is a virgin, a, per, a lady who has never been with a man. The Hebrew word is very, very clear, both here in Isaiah and in Matthew and Luke's account. 
He said, God will give you a sign, and a virgin will give birth to a child. So could it be that when Jesus came, this had already happened once? Now, I'm not suggesting that it was Jesus. I'm not suggesting that it was the Son of God. But think about this with me just for a minute, if you will. If God can bring somebody back from the dead, could he miraculously make a lady pregnant? Like you understand pregnancy to begin with, right? I mean, we understand biologically how it happens, but yet we still don't understand how it happens. Is it possible? If God wanted someone to be pregnant, could God make her pregnant? I mean, he made Eve out of nothing, made Adam out of nothing, he made a rabbit out of nothing. He could certainly make a lady pregnant if he wants to. And he said, I'll tell you what she's going to name him, Emmanuel. Because for her, this was a statement from God, God with us. So she gets this miraculous sign. Ahaz still does not listen. You and I live in a world where we have the the second fulfillment of that with Jesus. We have the fulfillment of Jesus. We have the virgin birth, God in the flesh. We have the story of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, and yet people still refuse to believe. They would rather worship their syncretistic gods and everything else in the world than to serve the one God who came to rescue them from this world. How tragic. Do you know, things that we take for granted today, 20 years ago, all right, those of you that are my age, here's a, here's a picture of what we looked like 20 years ago. <laughs> now, we were somebody, were we, were we not? Yeah. I remember the first stereo my wife and I bought. It was about that big. There's your camcorder. You've got your disc for your computer. You've got your giant computer. All this technology, and now all of that, and a whole lot more is in my phone. I don't need all that. But if you walked around like this today, people would think you were crazy. This is what happens with syncretistic religions. People want to have a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of Muhammad, and maybe I'll believe in a little bit of yoga, and maybe I'll believe in this. When in truth, Jesus came to fulfill all of the scriptures. He said, I will give you a sign whether you want a sign or not. So even when he's confronted with the most incredible gift, he still rejects God. Now, some of you are here today. And listen, syncretism looks different today. Sometimes it is all these different gods, or bit, bits and pieces of gods. But sometimes it's gods of your own creating. It's, you can create your own pantheon. You don't have to have Hindu and Buddha and Muslim. You, you, you can have cars and jobs and money and sexual things. And, and you can have all kinds of gods that you worship instead of focusing on the one living God. Isaiah walks in and says, listen, God will give you anything. Ah, I don't be bothered with your God. And he said, well, God will show you anyway. So even if you don't believe in Jesus, Jesus still rose from the dead to forgive you and to forgive me. So I don't know what you're waiting for. If you're watching online, there's a button. I've decided. Hit that button. They'll talk to you. If you're here in the room, you come right over here. Palm Bay to land. Go right to the decision sign. There'll be people there to talk to you. Last night, when we finished the service, we had two, two people were baptized. It was very, very cool. But... 
And, and I promise you, we did not plan this. I had no way of knowing this. Uh, pastor Elijah, uh, our, our youth pastor, baptized a young man. His name was Emmanuel. It was very cool. It was a very, very special moment. So that leads us into the last part, and that is not only will a child be born, but his name. His name is not to be missed. His name is the name that's above every name. Philippians 2.9 says that the name of Jesus, every, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. There's only one name and it transcends all others and that is the name of Jesus. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So there was no way Ahaz could miss this miracle. But he did. You're thinking, well, there's no way anybody in today's world would miss this miracle. But they still do. Some of you are sitting here today. You know the truth. Now tell me, where are you? How many, how many false gods you got piled up in the temple? How many things need to get cleared out of your mind, out of your heart, out of your life? It took Hezekiah 16 days and a team of people just to get all the garbage out of the temple. What needs to be hauled out of your life? Because if he is who he claims to be, which Paul says there in Philippians, he's the name above every name. And whether you believe in him or not, whether you believe there's a God or not, is totally irrelevant. Because remember, your feelings don't matter. My feelings don't matter. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, Jesus, your Lord, either to enter into heaven or to your own condemnation. You get to choose. Let's have our creation moment, shall we? In your body, in my body, we are made up of cells. You knew that, right? How many cells do you have? You have 37.2 trillion cells. Right? If you're a little taller, you have a few more. 30, seriously, you have 37 trillion, 200 billion cells in your body. And they're all working together right now so that you can see and think and walk and all the things that we do. Right? 37 trillion cells all working together. And while we were talking, hundreds of thousands of those cells died and hundreds of thousands of new cells replaced them. Otherwise, we would die. This is what the interior of every cell in your body looks like. Little, look at this. Look at the design. There's all kinds of little engines and motors and parts. and We'd have no idea what all these little parts do inside every one of the trillion cells in your body. And I'm supposed to believe that happened by accident? No, I have a divine creator. That's why he sets the boundaries for morality. Let me finish with one more story with some big numbers. A guy figured out that in an average person's lifetime, if you live to be 100, right? Anybody here 100 yet? Okay. You couldn't hear me if you did. If you live to be 100, your heart will beat 4 billion times. And then the guy sets up a scale... So you can go back and say, okay, I'm, I'm 58 years old. Here's how many heartbeats I've had so far in my life. 
how many more heartbeats do you think you have left? So with that question in mind, I ask you, with the heartbeats you have left, what are you going to do? Are you going to accept Jesus? Are you going to wait ten more heartbeats? Are you going to wait a thousand more? When are you going to decide to serve and help in the children's ministry? When are you going to give to feed children? What do you do? What are you going to do with the heartbeats that you have left? Remember, you get four billion if you live to a hundred, and that's probably not going to happen. In fact, you used up 41 million by age one. So we've each got a limited amount of heartbeats. What will we do with what we have left? Father, I pray that as we finish, your Holy Spirit would work. Speak to us from a 2,700-year-old king who made lots of mistakes and help us to be wiser than he was. God, may your spirit move in people to accept you, Jesus, to turn from their wicked ways, to turn from the worship of multiple gods and grab a hold of the living God. Lord, whether people are watching at home, Palm Bay or DeLand or here, God, the desire is the same, to see people find the living God and hold on tight. So, Lord, move in our hearts with the heartbeats that we have left. In Jesus' name, amen.